Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. God is moving through His people. He wants to use you so that His purposes might be done and that you can indeed have those promises, those blessings that God desires to bestow upon you. We serve a good and generous God. But realize that the best way to receive His generosity is through obedience. God is not pleased by rebelliousness. He is not glorified by selfishness. God wants us to serve Him because it's the right thing to do, to be a blessing to others. And in blessing others, we can be assured, if not today, tomorrow, if not tomorrow, next week, if not in this age, in the age to come, God, as it says in the book of Hebrews, God is not unjust He's just. He's not unjust to forget any of those good works that we have done in his name. He will remember them and bestow upon us properly his rewards. Messiah himself says, I'm coming soon and my reward is with me to render to each one according to his deeds. Let's do deeds that bring about great rewards. That's what a true believer does. Take out your Bible and look with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, where we had our call to worship. Again, we want to come back to that passage of Scripture. We began the first 11 verses of this chapter last week in our time of study. Now we want to continue in the second part of chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. And remember, this is Paul's epistle, his first epistle, his first letter that he wrote to Timothy in order to encourage Timothy, to instruct Timothy, giving him counsel, advice, in order that Timothy could serve God successfully. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time you prayed, God, help me serve you successfully? This is what a true servant of God desires, that, that his master, his Lord, might be pleased with his behavior. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Now, I want to read this literally before I explain how we should understand it. It literally says, and grace I have. Now, I realize that the vast majority of English translations and others, they say, I have thankfulness, or I thank the one who enabled me. All of this is fine. I'm not disagreeing, but I want you to know that literally this word is grace. And when we receive God's grace, we're going to have grace. Now, when we look at the word grace in the verbal form, it can relate to forgiveness. 
And one of the outcomes of grace is that it produces thanksgiving in your life. You will be a thankful person. You will have gratitude. So it's the word grace, but in this context, Paul is giving thanks to God. Why? Look at it again. And grace or gratitude or thanksgiving I have to the one who enabled me. Now he's going to reveal who that is. It is Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. The one who considered me faithful placing me, setting me, or appointing me, however you want to translate this word, for ministry, for service. Now, we see something that is inherently related to grace. See, if we just use the word for thanksgiving, we don't see a biblical theological connection between thanksgiving and service. But the concept of grace always is connected to the will of God. So what the scripture is telling us is this. Paul, he's received grace. He is a recipient of grace. That is, he has it. And that grace is going to work in his life in order to enable him to carry out the will of God. Do ministry. Serve God. So you receive grace, and that grace transforms you into a servant. And because of grace... What's one of the working of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Messiah. He is going to enable you for this ministry. It is through receiving grace, being enabled by Messiah Yeshua, that God is going to see you as faithful for serving Him. It's the grace of God that impacts us and transforms us into a servant of the living God instead of serving sin. And this is what he's telling Timothy. You need to also have thanksgiving because Messiah has enabled you. And here's a takeaway for us. If I am not enabled by Messiah to do the things, I can't do them in the flesh. I can't do them through my own ability, my own own wisdom, my own knowledge, my own capability none of that prepares me to serve god it's only what messiah does through his spirit the holy spirit that enables me to be reckoned appropriate faithful for service to god now notice what paul is going to also say next verse verse 13 where he says the one who formally he's speaking about his past before he was enabled by Messiah, before he became a recipient of God's grace. He says, the one who formerly being a blasphemer and persecutor, and this next word, I think many English Bibles will translate it insolent, but it's a word that is more uh, violent. It is more tied to rebelliousness. It's a strong word. And Paul is using three strong words where he says, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, and I was, was violent against the things of God. Now, Paul thought as a Pharisee, he was one who was serving God, but he was in spiritual darkness. He had been deceived. 
he was very, very, very knowledgeable of the scripture. But because he would not see the scriptures correctly, he didn't come out of this darkness. He was allowing the deception of a pharisaical Judaism to blind him. Now, notice what he says. First and foremost, he says, formally, I'm that one who was a blasphemer. Did he blaspheme God, meaning God the Father, the God of Israel? No. The one he was blaspheming was Yeshua. And the fact that, that the Holy Spirit chose this word to be used here is speaking and revealing about the divinity of, of Messiah. You blaspheme God. You can say derogatory things about others, but the term blasphemy is usually reserved for, for God. So he's saying here, I was blaspheming Yeshua, did not recognize his divinity. And anyone who does not recognize Messiah's divinity is a blasphemer. And when you don't recognize Messiah for who he is, you are going to be working against him. That's why he says here, a persecutor. And then finally, he speaks about that rebellious streak, that violentness that he had in his life because he did not know the peace of God. But, and now he's going to talk about what changed. What transformed Paul? He says, but being a recipient of mercy because unknowing i did i did these things is the implication unknowingly i did in faithlessness paul's revealing prior to coming to messiah i was faithless so understand paul knew much about judaism but that did not lead him to a place where he was close he just needed messiah and that everything else would fall into place Paul's saying, my behavior, every aspect of it did not show faith. And remember, faith is related to the concept of truth. Paul wasn't walking in truth. Paul was far removed from what God wanted for him. He was someone who was, and notice what he says here, this word unknowing, but really, literally, it's not the word just unknowing, it's against knowing. The, the word ignorant in English, Greek, it's much stronger. It is being unwilling to know against knowledge. And what is that revealing? Well, many scholars have pointed this out, that when I'm committed to myself, I'm against knowing God. That's the message here. And all of this he is confessing. We are benefit, 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 we benefit from this. But primarily, he was speaking this to who? to Timothy, to equip Timothy for God's call in his life. Verse 14. Now, we mentioned that Paul became a recipient of mercy. And that mercy is, is connected to grace. Now, we can't use them as interchangeable, but there's a close relationship between mercy and grace. It's only when we receive God's grace that we're also going to be a recipient of mercy. But grace is greater than just mercy. Notice what he says here. He has been talking about mercy, but now he says, look at verse 14. It begins with a word, which is really two words in Greek. 
the word for not being able to number something, and then the word for surpassing, that which is in excess. So they work together. Because of the innumerable grace of God, which is surpassing, meaning it overcomes all things. So it's emphasizing grace. Look again. Because of the surpassing grace of our Lord. Now, I don't believe it's an accident that we see here that, that Paul, when he speaks of being a recipient of God's great grace, his innumerable grace, that, that grace that is surpassing all things, all of our sins, all of our transgressions, all of our rebelliousness, God's grace is greater. And notice, when we receive God's grace, it's going to cause us to recognize Yeshua, not just as Savior, not just as, as God, not just as Redeemer, but we're going to recognize Him as Lord. Now, I don't know why it is, but when we speak about the Lordship of Messiah Yeshua, many people, they, they, they write and they shout legalism. Most people don't understand what legalism from a theological standpoint is. Legalism is saying you have to obey these things in order to be saved. That's not what we're speaking about. We're speaking to people who have been saved. How? Freely. A gift. A gracious gift that comes from what Messiah did. We receive it by faith. We haven't done anything. But after receiving that free gift... That, that grace that comes into my life, remember I said, there is a relationship between grace and the will of God. God's grace works in someone's life for the God's will to be realized. We want to successfully serve Him and achieve His will. Grace puts us in a position where we can serve God successfully. So what it speaks here is Paul saying, this surpassing number of, of God's grace. It can't be counted because it's so, so wonderful and powerful and excessive. And this grace, it will move in my life for me to recognize the lordship of Yeshua over me, that I want to serve him. Grace causes us to desire to serve God. This is a problem today in much of what the world calls Christianity. And that is that, that God's there for me. He's going to solve my problems. He's going to help me for what I want. He's going to help me achieve my, my goals. No, he's not. God has entirely different goals. Someone wrote to me, how do you know, they said, that, that my desires for my life are not God's desires? And this is how he responded. Were these desires that you had prior to coming to faith? Person said, yes. From a little child, I believed that this was my destiny. It's not God's for you. Because God's purpose for your life is only going to be revealed to you after coming to faith. You're not going to know the wondrous things that God has for you, how he wants to use you, and the implications of those things from a kingdom perspective as a rebellious person in sin. You're in darkness. So it's only after coming to faith are you going to have clarity 
for what God wants you to do. You're not going to be knowing God's purposes in the state of sinfulness, rebelliousness, darkness, having not yet been regenerated. This is what Paul is revealing to us. So he says, verse 14, the surpassing, the innumerable grace of our Lord. And that grace is going to work with, what does he say? With faith and love in Messiah Yeshua. Now, I want you to see that there is a connection in this text between faith and love. Why is that important? When I walk in faith, I'm going to be, be sharing the love of God. When I'm walking in my own desires, I'm going to be sharing selfishness. I'm going to be sharing what I want, not going to be behaving in a loving way. So what God's revealing here through the Apostle Paul, and remember, we are, are benefiting from hearing this instruction, but primarily it's to Timothy. Timothy has a call in his life. And Paul is helping to equip him for this, and he wants him to know some truthful things. And therefore, he says, look at the text. He says here that with this grace of our Lord, when we recognize his lordship, we are going to be walking in faith and expressing the love which is in Messiah Yeshua. Then he says, verse 15, the word which is faithful. So this is a faithful word, a true word that he wants us to know. And what is that? And this faithful word is also worthy for acceptance. We need to receive this, accept it. It's worthy. And what is that? That Messiah Yeshua came into the world, sinners to save. That's what it literally says. Sinners, the emphasis is on sinners. Why did he come into the world? To save sinners. But the mind was of God was saving these individuals, knowing what they were heading to. So the point in the text is that salvation is foundational to what Timothy is going to be concerned with his leadership, his role, remembering the primary purpose of Yeshua was sinners to save. And then he says, read on in the middle of verse 15, actually towards the end, where he says, which chief I am. Now, literally, that word chief, it's the word protos, which is where you get the term prototype, which is really the word first, where Paul says, first am I. Paul's mindset is this. He thinks about his life before coming to faith, and he says, if there's a list of sinners, I'm at the top of that list. Now, that's not where we want to be, but Paul knows himself. I know myself. You know, I can't believe that, that other people would think the same thoughts that I have. They're, they're better than that. They have to be. So Paul is thinking about what he's done, how he's blasphemed, how he's persecuted, how he has set himself against the purposes of God in a violent way. And therefore, he says, you know, I know me, and I am chief. I'm number one on that list of sinners. But now look at verse 16. But on account of this, he says this same word, second time, 
I have become a recipient of mercy. Now, here it's just one word in Greek. It is the term for mercy, mercy being given out, but it's in the passive, so it's mercy being received. So Paul simply says here, on account of this, being a recipient of mercy, mercy, in order that me, myself, he's saying, that I might be first to do what? To manifest Messiah Yeshua, this one who is all patient, for an example, for a, a example, I wrote near the margin of my Bible, the Hebrew word tavnit. Now, probably a better word than example is a pattern. So he says, I'm a perfect pattern of what Messiah can do. I'm the chief sinner, but when God's grace came into me, when he saved me, a sinner, it brought about a change. So he says, in order that in me first, Yeshua would be manifested, this one with all patience, to be a pattern of, and he's saying this is what he is, Paul, a pattern of the ones that would believe in the future upon him for eternal life. Now, I hope you know what I'm going to say now because I want us to understand this term, eternal life, biblically. All too often, we only understand one, one aspect of it. Eternal life, life forever. That's true. That's one aspect. Eternal life, we should think of it as kingdom life so believing for a kingdom life experience and that doesn't begin just when you die it begins paul says i'm an example i'm a pattern of that now i'm living according to kingdom truth and that's what all believers are called to do so once more to be a pattern for the ones who are coming to faith coming to believe upon him upon messiah for kingdom life eternal life verse 17 now because of that wonderful thing that that god has done through his only begotten son yeshua paul breaks out in a benediction in a praise where he says and this was our call to worship earlier when he says and to the god who is eternal incorruptible or some bibles say immortal invisible only and the implication is the only wise god to him it says honor and glory forever and ever amen and the reason why i say to him that phrase isn't there but it's in the the dative which implies to so it's to him is this this honor and this glory forever and ever amen verse 18 this charge now paul's moving into something that's that's very specific he is going to charge timothy and this charge is for the purpose of encouraging it is for the purpose of revelation revealing something to timothy that he can be committed to that's what we need to be people who are committed to 
a godly charge. This charge is something that God has set in force, that God has, has put into action. So pay attention to verse 18 where he says, this charge that, that has been set for you, and then he uses the term child Timothy. Now, many Bibles will say, son, this is incorrect. If you look at this word, this word always appears in the neuter. So it's child. It's not son or daughter. And the term for son and daughter carries other meanings. What is this word of? Well, in our study of, of, of 1 John, we talked about this because John uses it frequently. Child relates to two things. One, the term comes within the context of endearment, love. Secondly, it speaks about a relationship. You are part of this family, so you are loved. We, we have great endearment for you. So it's a term of great affection. So Paul says, child Timothy. Now, Timothy is young, but he's no child. That's why he's using this term to show his love for him and also as a father. So he says, this charge is set before you, child Timothy, according to, and then we have a word which means to, to go before. And that word is in the same grammatical construction as what follows a few words in the Greek text later on, and that is prophecies so paul is speaking about these these previous prophecies unto you that were about timothy so timothy people prophesied concerning him that god was going to use him in this way and paul now is charging him to be committed to those things which god has revealed through prophecy people sharing them about timothy in order that, now, many people, we talked about this, I believe, last week, many people call First and Second Timothy, along with Titus, the pastoral epistles. Because Timothy and Titus, they were over congregations. And therefore, what we're learning in First Timothy and what we'll learn in a few weeks when we begin Second Timothy is most relevant for building and edifying a local congregation. And notice he's going to use words that relate to warfare. I think that's most telling. Why? Because so frequently there is conflict within a local congregation. Why? The enemy's there. And the enemy's going to use our, our pride, our selfishness, our own desires, anything that's not submissive to God, rendered under his authority, the enemy is going to use. He can use some good people for some very, very bad purposes. And therefore, in light of that, Paul says this. He says, this charge that was set before you, child Timothy, according to these previous prophecies about you, all of this was given in order that you should war among them. So there's going to be things that Timothy is called to go to war over. Now, one of them we talked about last week, 
and that was warring for godly doctrine proper theology the truth of god very significant this concept of warring he says you remember these prophecies that you heard about you what god was going to do with your life in order that you war among them and it says the good good warfare the good struggling but it's the same word for for war and being a a faithful soldier that's what he's talking about in this passage now verse 19 having faith and a good conscience now this means faith remember what it's related to that word truth so it's truth that gives us a good conscience we have a conscience god gave it to us but he's saying here it's the truth that causes that conscience to function well that's what he wants us to realize so fight for the proper doctrine that in order that the truth of god might give a a good a well-functioning conscience and then he says which some have pushed away now this is important because it's not the same word for just deviating from kind of gone off course sometimes you may may be driving someplace and you you go off course you you take a wrong exit there's a a place in the road and you can go straight on the interstate or veer off and sometimes we veer off or we should have veered off when we went straight it's simply a deviation well he doesn't use this word this is a much stronger word it's for pushing away it says i reject this and this is what he's talking about here that there are some who have pushed away the the faith and pushing away concerning that true faith pushing it away rebelling against it what has happened well this next word is a word you know the word nautical it's that word and then for breaking up or destroying something so oftentimes we would translate that into english shipwrecked so he's saying here you need to have truth that your conscience functions well that you remember what your call is and that you struggle you fight for proper doctrine because you don't want to be like some who have have pushed away the truth and therefore their faith has become shipwrecked and and therefore he says such ones there's only one thing can be done for look now to our last verse for such ones who is and he's going to name them now for the most part i try not to name names but when when people are very very popular they have a a large following and they are a false teacher it is incumbent upon us to speak out to warn people and hopefully maybe bringing these people to repentance and i know i get emails that's prideful you know when someone is so far removed from the truth and and discernment you don't have to be really really mature in the faith a little discernment you can see these people are dangerous and there are times and i pray about it that they need to be named 
People say, well, that's, that's ungodly. Well, tell Paul this. What did he do here? Look at our last verse, verse 20. He says, there are those certain ones. So he's speaking, you know, kind of abstractly. There are these certain ones who have pushed away, uh, uh, and that pushing away has brought about their faith to be shipwrecked. But verse 20, he names them. Who are, and he uses word hymnaios, and also Alexander. Two people that would have been known to Timothy. And remember, this is circulated. It's written to Timothy, but it became circulated among the believers in this area and beyond. Now, it's part of Holy Scripture. And in the account of God's Word, we have these two individuals, Hymenius and Alexander, who I have delivered over. I have given to Satan. Now, why is that? Well, if they are teaching abominable doctrine, they need to meet the one who is the source of that, and that's Satan. Now, I'm sure that, that many people in this, well, they may not be, be teaching truth. They may have an air here and there, but deliver them over to Satan? Yes. Paul wants to reveal False doctrine has a common origin, and it's Satan. So we all can make a mistake. We can say something that's, that's not true, but realize that is serious. And, and the one who's behind that is either our own laziness, our own uh, unwilling to, to pray enough, to study enough, to seek God. And when we fail to do these things, Satan exploits that. But understand, he is the father of lies. He's there when anything untrue goes out. And therefore, Paul says, these two individuals whom I have turned over to Satan in order that, and what is that? That they, and this is a word for, it's the same word where we get a, a person who, who is a doctor for children. So it's something here to, to take someone who is immature and to make them healthy. That's what Paul is saying here. In order that they be, be changed, that they meet and understand who they're serving, who they're embracing, who they're speaking for, in order that they may be chastened, that they may mature, that they may grow. This is what it's speaking about. That they should not blaspheme. Now, I believe this is most informative when it says they should not blaspheme. Why? Because it goes back to where Satan, and we see this, for example, in, in John's epistles, where if someone does not know the divinity of Messiah, they are a blasphemer. I believe what Paul is warning Timothy is that you have to be harsh against those, war against those who deny the divinity of Messiah. And let me just simply say, as I travel more and more, as I meet more and more people who say that they are believers, I see an increasing number, especially within the Messianic movement, that are drifting that is, they are pushing away this, this all-important doctrine concerning the proper understanding of Messiah, that he is the only 
begotten Son, the only divine Son of, of God the Father, that He is eternal, that it's appropriate to worship Him. All of these people that, that doubt the divinity, they don't want to worship Messiah, and they are blasphemers, and they are connected to the enemy. They have satanic influence in their life. This is serious business. Well, we've concluded chapter 1. And next week, we're going to begin chapter 2, a very important chapter, one that is highly controversial. And it's not because it's difficult to understand. It's because people don't like the truth of God. They're not faithful enough to believe that what God says is right and that we're called to submit to it. So next week, a lot of controversy, but all we're dealing with is simple truth from the Word of God. Well, I'll leave with that until next week. May God bless you. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank you.